This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. A couple years ago, uh, a couple years ago, many years ago, uh, my wife and I found ourselves the recipients of some really shocking news. We were living in Southern California at the time. I got to meet some of our friends from SoCal today. Anybody else from Southern California or California originally? A couple hands went up. We love it. We're glad that you're here. Uh, it, it is a safe place for the Californians to come. Come on. For those of you that grew up in Utah, you're like, oh man, the Californians are coming. Oh baby, we're here already. Let me just tell you. But years ago, my wife and I, where we met, my wife originally grew up here in Salt Lake City and then her and her family moved to Southern California to plant churches and that's how she and I connected. And we met, we fell in love as you do and we got married, started having kids. We had our first daughter, Cora, in 2008. And then in 2009, we, we got word that we were pregnant with uh, another child, but we were in the process of, of doing a lot of things and working hard and working multiple jobs, serving in the church that we were part of for over a decade. And God was just doing a lot of amazing things in our life, but we weren't expected for the, we weren't uh, ready for the news that came to us one day when we went in to have kind of our, our regular checkup with the doctor as you do. And so we had an ultrasound done and the nurse tech came in with some really shocking news. And she said, you know, I just want to prepare you for the worst. It appears that your son is probably going to be born with complications. His water levels are dangerously low and deficient. And um, you just need to prepare yourself for anything that could go wrong in this situation. Now, how many of you guys know if your parents that receiving that kind of news is a shock, right? Your heart drops. You're like, ah, oh. you go in with this expectation in your heart. You're believing God for more. You're excited. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, what? Tell me what? Say that again for, for the rest of us in the back who can't hear very well. What did you just say? Complications? What does that mean? And we left the, the nurse's office and the doctor's office that day so devastated, so discouraged in our faith. And I'll never forget on our way home just feeling hopeless and kind of just really like bummed out in my heart about what we had just heard. Anybody ever been there before facing a storm or a situation that seems just kind of out of your control? It just erupts in your life out of nowhere. Things are going good and you're like, where did this come from? Right? I've had good news yesterday and today it's bad news. And Certainly we weren't ready for that. We weren't anticipating that kind of news. And as a parent, obviously your soul is crushed because you feel hopeless and kind of helpless to do anything about it. But I remember on the way home just feeling the sense of hopelessness. And then I remember hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit say to me, have I not promised you peace that the world cannot give you? Have I not promised to never leave you or forsake you? Is anything too hard for me? And just a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about the God of so much more, the God of abundant grace and the God of abundant power and the God of abundant provision. And today I wanna to talk to you about the God of abundant peace. He said to me in this moment, have I not promised you peace that the world cannot give you? And of course, I, I knew the answer to that rhetorical question from the Lord. I knew it in theory, at least theologically speaking. But what I actually needed was for the Lord to come in in that moment. I needed a confirmation of God's voice to remind me of who he is and the fact that he was working already in my situation, in my storm, despite the fact that I couldn't see it. What I needed was for the Lord himself to speak a word of peace in the midst of what I was going through. Mark chapter four, verse 35. 
On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Say it with me, a great calm. Verse 40, and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? As a messenger of peace this morning, I stand before you, not just as your pastor, as a communicator of God's word, but as someone who wants to tell you about the God of so much more, the God of abundant peace, the one who comes to us in the midst of life's storms to speak a word of peace and to remind us not to be afraid. Some of you are in this place this morning and you're, you're listening to this message or you're watching this online and you've come to a place in your life right now where you're dealing with a real storm. Maybe something came out of nowhere. Maybe it was good news yesterday, but today it's bad news. And something's erupted in your life that's outside of your natural control or ability to control it. And to help you, I wanna show you today and I wanna show all of us today how we can have peace in the midst of the storms that come. And the, the storms do come, don't they? Maybe you're in a place right now and you're, you're riding high and 2024 is off to a great start. Maybe you're here today and it's like 2023 dragged all of its baggage with it into this year. And maybe you're at a place where you just need to be encouraged not to be afraid for the Lord is with you. To kind of unpack a little bit of what's happening here, I want to start with Mark chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, and I want to look at some of the context of what Jesus is doing and how he's preparing his disciples' hearts for what they're encountering in this moment and what they're about to encounter later on in the story. Verse 1 says this, again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very loud, large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on it in the sea. So he's sitting in a boat teaching the people, and crowds are gathering to him. And it says, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Okay, so Jesus is sharing the good news of the kingdom. What did Jesus come to do? He came to inaugurate and announce the good news of his Father's kingdom. That the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Spirit in and through the Father was being made available through the Son. And it was being announced among them. To the poor good news had come. To the broken, good news had come. To the marginalized, good news had come. To those that were elite, good news had come. To those that were skeptical, good news had come. And the good news of the kingdom, of God's reign and rule that was breaking in among them, had come to them in a way that was unexpected. And Jesus was telling them stories, he was telling them parables to both conceal and reveal the mysteries of this kingdom. Say it with me today, conceal and reveal. All throughout Mark's gospel, you'll get a sense of the fact that Jesus is doing things to reveal his divinity and his power and his being Lord and Messiah to the people that are closest to him and to those that he came to minister to. And at the same time, he's also concealing the fact that he's Messiah and he's concealing the fact that there are things that God is doing among them that are not for the obstinate, not for the prideful, not for those that are in power positions that refuse to welcome and receive that news into their life. And we get kind of a sense of this in verse 
uh, 9, Jesus says, and to those who have ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, to those who have the ability to understand and receive what Jesus is saying, what was hidden is now revealed. But for those that don't have ears to hear, that are obstinate at heart, that are hard of hearing, that are prideful, what was hidden remains concealed. In verse 11, Jesus goes on to expound why he does this, and he tells the disciples this later on when he's alone with them. And Jesus said to his followers, he said, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Time out, I thought Jesus wanted everybody to be forgiven. (laughs) What do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean that it's been given to us to understand but to them that they would not hear lest they turn and be forgiven? What are you doing? This doesn't sound like the Jesus of the the current culture that I know (laughs) where you just kind of come as you are and like, do your thing and make him into your own God and you know you pick and choose the parts you like and right? I thought everybody, I thought Jesus wanted to save everybody. I thought everybody needs to be forgiven. Well, why does Jesus say this? Why is Jesus doing it this way? Why did the king of the universe come on the scene and begin to speak to them in parables? I have a theory <laughs> that what Jesus is doing here is about making devoted followers and not just fans. A devoted follower, for instance, is someone who has given their heart to apprentice the thing or the person that they love. And there is a difference. For those of you that like sports, right now, you know, next week's the Super Bowl. I'm I'm a bit of a a college football fan. I love collegiate sports, but you know, I, I entertain the idea of, of watching the NFL every now and then. And what you see right now are, are the difference between what I call devoted followers and fans. Now, for those of you that might like love football and that are Detroit fans, I'm sorry about what happened last week because my Niners just stomped on y'all just like right at the end of that game. It was a glorious thing to see. And uh, for those of you that are walking out right now, be blessed. No, I'm just kidding. But I gotta say one thing about Detroit Lions fans. They are devoted. They are not just fans, they are devoted followers. For 35 years, they've waited for the chance to play in a Super Bowl. And my Niners came like a thief in the night and just stole it right out of their hands, just right out of their clutches. (laughs) And you know what? They're still devoted. Tomorrow, they're gonna still love the Detroit Lions. And next year, when they lose again, they're still gonna love the Detroit Lions. And the following year, when they lose again, they're gonna still love the Detroit Lions because they're devoted, they're obsessed, they're all in for their team. What's the difference between a, a devoted follower and a Fairweather fan? Well, a Fairweather fan typically, you know, they, they kind of criticize from the sidelines. They're, they're sitting on the sidelines from the safety and, and, and kind of coziness of their lazy boy, and they're, they're telling the person on the screen, how lousy they did and how they could do it better and all these things, right? They typically criticize from safety. Devoted followers understand and they actually applaud the risks of playing the game. They know what it's like. Devoted followers not only understand and applaud the risks of playing the game, but they wanna be as close to the action as possible. Fairweather fans often change sides or teams when things aren't going well for them. Devoted followers remain loyal in their allegiance no matter what happens. 
And what Jesus is doing here by way of parables is he's trying to separate the sheep from the goats. He's trying to separate the followers from the fans, the, the ones that will devote their lives to hearing and receiving from him with an open heart, and those that merely want to use Jesus to get his stuff, or use Jesus to come close to power, or use Jesus to get their ticket punched to heaven. Jesus isn't just interested in all of those things. He's interested in advancing his father's kingdom and rule. And those that come underneath that rule and that submit their hearts and their lives are the ones that become the recipients of the mysteries of that kingdom. And so right here at the beginning, Jesus is beginning to already, amongst the crowds, separate the casual fans from the devoted followers, the fair weather fans from the devoted followers. What Jesus is doing here is... He's already beginning to disciple his followers in the way of the kingdom. And this way is a very specific way. In fact, later on he'll say this is, it's a narrow way. He says broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to life. So Jesus is not trying to make things necessarily easier for anybody, and especially those that have hard hearts or that are unwilling to, to hear what he has to say or receive him. So Jesus is already discipling his followers in this way and he's unraveling the mysteries of the kingdom so that they can understand not just in theory, not just in their theology who God is, but in practice. And to help them to understand in practice what he's saying, he's about to subject them to some storms. Number one today, true peace is found not in playing it safe, but true peace is found in following Jesus courageously. I'll say it again. True peace is not found in playing it safe. It's found in courageously following Jesus. And I would say today, wherever he wants us to go. You see, as a church, this is our mission. This is what we're all about at Courageous Church. Helping people become courageous followers of Jesus. Which means that our lives are not our own. Which means that we don't get to set our agenda and our schedule which means that we submit ourselves to the rulership of his kingdom rule and way. And so part of this means that the invitation for us to step out of the crowd and out of what it means to be just a casual fan and to become a devoted follower means that we have to abandon, our, abandon ourselves to going where Jesus wants us to go. And sometimes this means right into storms and sometimes this means following Jesus to the other side. Verse 35, and on that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his devoted followers, let us go across to the other side. I want you to underline that or swipe that in your Bibles. To the other side. And then leaving the crowd, they took Jesus with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him. So Jesus often invites us to follow him to what here he calls the other side. And, and following Jesus to the other side often means leaving what is comfortable and leaving what is safe. And for the disciples here, it meant taking a very real risk and facing the real dangers of a very real storm. But it also meant following him to the other side of that storm where further dangers awaited them. What was waiting for them on the other side, you ask? A warm cup of coffee? Bagels and cream cheese? <laughs> Donuts? <laughs> a welcome party? with a nice welcome sign out front saying, you made it. No, what was waiting for them were a legion of demons, a legion of troublemakers, unclean spirits, they're called. 
And we see it right here as they arrive later in Mark chapter five. I just wanna highlight this real quickly before we return to the storm. But verse one says this, then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And this man lived among the tombs, okay? He was like hanging out in the graveyard. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Verse nine, and Jesus asked this man, what is your name? And the man replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now time out, Jesus. We just got through the storm. We reached the other side. We barely made it across the sea. Could you just give us a little break in the action? Anybody ever feel that way? We're like, life is going crazy, and you finally get through the moment that you're in, or you get a breakthrough, or you see answered prayer, and you're like, yeah, life's going to be good, and then boom, you're hit with another storm. Yeah, with more trouble, with confusion, chaos, the demonic, whatever you want to label it today. And maybe you're like me and you think to yourself, well, Jesus, come on, man. Like we were just doing ministry together. Can I just get a little reprieve? Can I get a little R&R, &R, a little rest and relaxation? We've been busy doing the work of God, advancing the kingdom here in Salt Lake. Could you just give me a little peace and quiet for a day? <laughs> and sometimes if we're not careful, we miss what Jesus is wanting to do in these moments. Anyone ever notice, too, how the enemy likes to kind of come at you right after you've gone through a trial or a storm where you just kind of feel extra vulnerable, maybe what I like to call a little crispy around the edges? You're just a little kind of like on edge. Isn't it interesting how the enemy likes to come at us when we're vulnerable, when we're tired, when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely? And yes, even when we're bored. Let me give you the acronym. It's a helpful acronym. HALT, H-A-L-T. I've shared this before. But this is oftentimes the enemy likes to come in. It's oftentimes where we have to face troubles and trials and situations that we're often not prepared for. So we gotta halt. We gotta pay attention to these things, these elements. When we're hungry, angry, lonely, tired. This is when we're the most vulnerable. And yet this is exactly what Jesus wanted to disciple them in. And how to be like him in the midst of the demonic, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the stuff that comes at us night and day. And here they were, obviously they've been working all night. As you already know, Jesus has calmed the storm, which means there's no more wind, which means now they have to row. And I've been to this sea, so has my wife. And we can tell you, it's not a little pond. It's not like a little reservoir. It's not like, you know, Jordanelle. It's, it's a massive lake. It's big. Sometimes you can't even see to the other side. And so they were busting their butt, working all night to row to the other side because the winds finally died down. Thanks, Jesus, for getting rid of the wind for us, by the way. But now we got to row. And now they're tired, and they get to the other side, and they face not just one demon, but a legion of demons. A legion means thousands. <laughs> Could you imagine with me? You sign up, you say the sinner's prayer, you're like, all right, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you wherever you wanna go. And he's like, cool, we're gonna go confront a thousand demons. 
or thousands of demons. You're like, well, for those of you that are new to this whole thing, you're like, I don't even know what a demon is yet. All right, we'll get to that. <laughs> but here the disciples are, and they're, they're having to, to face the storm, and then they face this legion of demons. But here's what I believe God wants them and, and for us to know. As we courageously follow him where he wants to go, the very peace that we discover while in the storm is oftentimes the same peace that he wants to govern our hearts when we face what's on the other side of the storm. Can I say it again? The very peace we discover while in the storm is the same peace that is meant to guide us and to sustain us on the other side of it. So let me ask you today, what does the other side of your storm look like? What does the other side look like to you today? What seems scary or dangerous or perhaps risky that God is inviting you to follow him into and toward? Maybe it's a new job. Maybe for some of you, it's like getting the courage to just leave the job that you have to pursue something better. Or maybe it's the courage to stay because you know that God has called you there to make a difference. What does the other side look like? Maybe it's a new relationship. Or maybe it looks like sharing your faith with your unsafe friends and family members, as scary as that is. And not just at Christmas and Easter. Come on, somebody. To step into moments where we have gospel conversations and spiritual conversations with people, where we become unafraid to share what it is that we believe and stand for the things that we believe, even though we know we might even be persecuted for it. Perhaps that's coming for many of us. We'll see. Sometimes we avoid confronting the very things that make us afraid because we're, we're seeking what I call a false peace or self-security. And what is this sense of security? It, it, it's an allure into this reality that if I just don't bother anybody and I walk on eggshells and I don't confront and I just leave things as they are, at least I'll have my peace. Can I tell you today, that's not true peace. That's false peace. Because true peace is peace that God gives us in the midst of the conflict. And the truth is, security, as much as we seek that, does not always lead to peace. Sometimes it results in this false peace that actually leads us into greater complacency. And this is my, my, my current conflict with a lot of people right now. In, in that we've, we've chosen to, to not make enemies of friends because we refuse to tell them what it is we believe. And then we pacify their lifestyle while they go to hell. All in the name of kindness. All in the name of not wanting to burn our bridges. All in the name of trying to appease people. But can I tell you that this is a church that believes God has called us to walk in faith and encourage in the midst of whatever it is we face with the people in our lives to share them good news that leads them to freedom. Why would we have the keys to someone's cell and refuse to give it to them? Why would we stand outside of it and wave at them? Hope you're cozy in there. But I, heaven forbid, I offend you with what I believe. Come on, church, we gotta get convicted. And it doesn't mean we have to throw stones. It doesn't mean we have to be harsh. It doesn't mean we, that we can't speak the truth in love, but we gotta speak the truth. And we gotta be willing to be persecuted for it. And for some of you, that's where you are right now. You, you're in an environment, maybe surrounded by people that are not believers or not Christians and, and, and their worldview and their ideology is 180 degrees different than yours. But can I tell you, God has called you to be salt and light. He's called you to be a courageous follower in the midst of that storm, whatever that looks like, and among the people that he gave his heart and his life for. 
Number two today, true peace is not found devoid of conflict. True peace comes to us right in the midst of it. Can I say it again? True peace is not devoid of conflict. It comes to us right in the midst. There's a biblical word for this. And in the Hebrew scriptures, it is the word shalom. Shalom means peace or harmony in the midst of chaos, which is right where the disciples find themselves in this story. Smack dab in the middle of a storm with the winds of chaos screeching and itching at their ears. Verse 37, again, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, but Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not even care that we are perishing? Anybody ever feel like that? Like, God, do you not even care about what I'm going through right now? Anybody ever feel like the only one when you're suffering? <laughs> so my wife can, uh, can attest to this, but like when I'm sick, I'm like the worst. She's like, you're such a baby, right? Women, your husbands are total babies when they're sick, aren't they? Yeah, women are so much tougher, trust me. Y'all give birth, y'all go through excruciating pain. We get like a cold and we're like, hold me. Can you make me some soup? It's like, come on, man. But sometimes that's, that's where we're at. And, and we feel like sometimes when we're going through something, like we're the only ones. Oh, I'm the only one. God, do you not care that I'm perishing right now? God, what are you doing? Anybody ever asked that in the midst of your storm? How about this one? Where are you, God? For some of you, that's a real cry of your heart today. Where are you, God? Where are you in the midst of cancer? Where are you in the midst of human trafficking? Where are you in the midst of, of the tsunamis that wipe out communities and children? Where are you in the midst of starving orphans? Where are you, God? Do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? And where is Jesus in this moment? Where is the Savior of the world? In the hour of the disciples' greatest need, well, he's right where he wants to be, asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat. Jesus, the Messiah and King of the universe, is taking a nap. Right? Do you not read that and have the same kind of questions that I do? Like, what's going on here? Now, contextually, we know Jesus had been ministering all day. He'd been teaching the people, loud, large crowds, big gatherings. He's exhausted. And in his humanity, can I tell you, Jesus probably needed some rest. He needed a nap. Can I tell you, sometimes the most holy and wonderful thing that you can do in the midst of conflict is take a nap, is go home and get some rest, is get some sleep. Now, sometimes the, the most obvious answer is the right answer. But I actually think, and might I suggest to you today, that Jesus was actually content to have his disciples experience the storm so that they could actually learn something from him. And not just something in theory. You see, in the church, oftentimes we fill our heads with more knowledge of God. We fill our heads with more theology and with more information. And we sit like the crowds do at his feet and we gather around to hear from him. But there comes a time when what you've heard from him has to be put into practice. It's not enough for us just to get more information about God if we're not going to take that information and apply it. And so Jesus, being the wise rabbi, sage, and king of the universe himself, knows this, 
probably anticipates the storm that's coming and takes a nap in the midst of it so that his disciples can learn something from him. And what is it that Jesus really wants them to learn in this moment? How about how to take a nap when all hell breaks loose? How about how to have peace or shalom in the midst of the conflict? And I will say this, just to make this practical for us today, sometimes the most godly thing that we can do in the middle of what we're doing is not to stress and to get full of anxiety. For those of you that just kind of stress out all night, anybody ever lay down at night and you're still kind of stressed and worried about what's going on in your life or what's gonna happen in the morning when you have to confront your boss or when you, ha when you have to deal with the stuff that's going on? and you start to feel anxious, and so what do you do? You get on your phone and you start doom scrolling through Instagram reels or TikTok videos, and then you're like, oh, eventually maybe my, you know, my, my anxiety will leave me, but now you're two hours deep into a doom scroll. Just me? Yeah. And so what do we do? We, in those moments, neglect everything that we learned from Jesus at the seaside. But now we're on the sea, and now we're in the storm. And now he's inviting us to this place called rest. And it seems almost paradoxical. Like, Jesus, why would you be asleep in the middle of the storm? Why this moment would you choose to rest? Well, obviously, he needed rest. But I think he was trying to model for his devoted followers, not just fans, what it looks like to have shalom no matter what happens around you. Could you imagine with me what it would look like in our lives if we could operate that way. Not just like every once in a while, but all the time. And I would suggest to us that is the invitation to learn from him, to come into a place of rest, to not just physically rest, and we need that. Sometimes we just need a good nap or we need a good night's rest. We need some sunlight. We need to eat well. We need to exercise. We need to take care of what God tells us to take care of in the natural. But sometimes we need to learn how to rest in him, to spiritually rest. And I think there's a difference. To rest in the Lord or to rest in Jesus is to trust his ability to solve your problems when you can't. To trust his ability to have the final say or word when you want the last word. And we see it right here in verse 39. He awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. The truth is sometimes the Lord calms the storm around us, but sometimes he wants to calm the storm within us. Can I say it again? Sometimes the Lord wants to calm the storm around us, the circumstances that we're dealing with, but oftentimes he really wants to address the storm that's within us. And we see evidence of this, obviously, all throughout the Gospels, but especially in the language of the Psalms. If you haven't read the Psalms, grab a hold of the Psalms, and for a year, just dive into that. I'm telling you, it will give you great language to express things that are going on when you confront conflict in your life. But listen to what Psalm 46, verse 10, most famously says. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Friends, the invitation to rest in him is to be still and to know that he is God. The invitation is to be confident in his power to speak a word that silences your storm, both within and without. And the problem was the disciples didn't really realize that Jesus 
had the power to command the wind and the waves. They didn't realize who was really in the boat with them, at least not yet. And it wasn't until they saw his power put on display and experienced the personal calm that came as a result of him saying the words, peace be still, that they began to understand what the Lord was truly capable of and not just as teacher, but as master of all, which brings us to number three today. And finally, the true peace comes when we move from merely admiring Jesus as teacher and we start worshiping him as Lord. I'll say it again. True peace comes when we move in our hearts from merely admiring Jesus as teacher and we start worshiping him more fully as Lord. Jesus is the one whom the wind and the waves must obey. They don't get a choice. Just like darkness doesn't get a choice when you flip on the light switch. It doesn't get to argue with the master of the universe. He's the one who has the power in his voice and in his word to silence every storm. He's the one who obviously would die and rise again. He's the master over death and hell and Hades itself. And what the disciples initially failed to realize was that peace was already with them in the boat. They already had a peace and his name was Jesus. The person and the presence of Jesus is peace personified. It's the embodiment of peace. It's peace with human flesh on it. And like them, sometimes I think we often fail to recognize that we've been given the same thing as devoted followers of Jesus. We've been given his presence. This is a church that loves the presence of God because we believe that we are marked by the presence. We believe that we have the assurance of his presence. In fact, he would tell the disciples later on, I will be with you until the very end of the age. Well, how can that be, Jesus? We saw you ascend and go to be with the Father. He comes to us through the power of his Holy Spirit to live within each and every one of us so that the peace that he gives, we can have all the time. And not just when we feel like it and not just on our good day, but even on our worst day, even when we've missed it, even when we've failed to recognize who was with us all along. He says to us as the people of God, as the church, as his bride, he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you no matter what. For some of us, our struggle is that we're far too familiar with a God we hardly know. I'll say it again, we're far too familiar with a God we hardly know. And if that's where you're at today, I wanna pray for you. And I, and I believe that God wants to make it simple for you today, not complicated. He wants to help you take some next steps this morning. Maybe coming a little closer. Listen to behold him, to step out of the crowd and, and get in the boat with him where he wants to take you into storms and to other sides where all kinds of challenges and things await, but where adventure is calling, where a life of meaning and a life of purpose is calling, where the things that we live for, the things that make us come alive is calling to us. And ultimately where we begin to start worshiping him as Lord and not just admiring him from the fans from the stands as teacher. Practically speaking, I think it can be really simple. And for those of you that are new to following Jesus, I wanna make it really simple for you today. Maybe, practically speaking, it, it means starting a new Bible reading plan this year. I think one of the best ways to get to know him and not just know about him is by getting in his word. It could be as simple as setting aside time to pray. And we just took about 21 days 
to do this as a church, to pray and to fast together, to really seek the Lord. But what if we extended this beyond just 21 days? Come on. We'll become people that are passionate about prayer every day, where every day we take time to spend time with him and to get to know him and to pray into things that he's pressed into our hearts, to worship him, to spend time just opening up your heart, letting him know what's going on. And I'm here to tell you, worship is not just about singing. It's not just about the songs we sing on Sunday. It's not just for those that have good voices or what I like to call voices that only Jesus loves. No, it's for all. It's your work, it's your attitude, it's your response to him in the storm and outside of the storm. It's opportunities to give him thanks and to praise him and to sit at his feet and marvel at who he is as Lord, not just as teacher. And maybe for some of us, that's the invitation that we need to step into today. Maybe that's the next step that we need to take. Isaiah 26, verse three, and the NLT says this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. Not just some, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I wanna encourage you today. Perfect peace comes when you begin to fix your thoughts and the attitude of your heart and your mind on him. It comes when you start listening to and believing his voice over all the other voices in your life because Jesus is the Prince of Peace who comes to us speaking words of peace saying things like, my peace I give to you, so don't let your heart be troubled. Or things like, in me, in me, you will have peace. So take heart and be courageous, for I have overcome the world. People of God, those are his promises to us. He promises that in him we can have and know his peace, this perfect peace. What stood before my wife and I that day and the doctor's office was a storm that we didn't expect. All those years ago, something that was meant to cause us great harm and pain, I believe, but Jesus turned it into a living reminder of who he is as our rock and as our salvation, as the Prince and Lord of peace, the God of so much more. Eventually, we started to agree with him. We began to rebuke the voice of doubt in our life. We began to tell the wind and the waves of chaos, confusion, to hush and to be still. And in their place, we started speaking words that were in alignment and agreement with the Prince of Peace. We began to speak words of life over our unborn son. And today, here he is, right in the back, Mr. Liam himself. Fit as a fiddle, no complications, praise God, no issues, but a living reminder and a living, breathing testament to what our God can do. Colossians 3.15 says this way, so let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Beloved, as members of this courageous family, God wants you to have peace that comes from knowing him and letting him rule and reign in your heart. And I believe that's the calling from God, to let this peace rule in us. I wonder if we believe that today. I wonder if you can hear the voice of the Messiah calling out to you. Peace I give to you, Morgan. Peace I give to you, Elizabeth. Peace I give to you, Jeff. Peace I give to you, Tim. Peace I give to you, Liz. Anybody else want some today? <laughs> Come on. Am I talking to anybody today that could use some peace? Amen? And that's what he's doing. So as we get ready to close, we're going to do what we've 
been doing the last few weeks where we just take a little time to huddle up and pray for each other. For those of you that are introverts, don't worry, the extroverts will find you. For those of you that are new, don't worry, our team will come to you. There's no pressure to do this, but we like to create and cultivate space within our service and within our gatherings to actually put into practice what God is saying, amen? And so we're gonna do that in just a moment, but here's what I want us to ask ourselves as we close out our time of gathering together. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Where do you need his peace? Let's throw it up there, Liam, if you have it. Where do you need his peace most in your life right now? And then what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray into peace today. And here's your script for those of you that don't know what to pray. Let me give you your words today. It's Philippians chapter four, verse 67. Here's what it encourages us to do. To not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God... That's what we're praying for today. That's what we're leaning into today. That's what we're inviting God to do. The peace of God, which surpasses understanding, which means it doesn't make a whole lot of earthly sense, will guard your heart and will guard your mind in Christ Jesus today. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.